Welcome to Season 3 of Voices of Value, where Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos continue their conversations with high-achieving guests who share their personal stories and, more importantly, the lessons they've learned from their journey. Whether it's Olympians sharing the roadmap that took them to a gold medal, professional sports people taking you inside their mindset, business leaders revealing their success strategies, or everyday people sharing life hacks, you can be sure you'll find value simply by joining the discussion with your hosts, Peter and Rick. Welcome to another episode of Voices of Value. It's been a big week all around the globe, all around this country, but uh, in particular at a little place called Optus Stadium over there at Western Australia. And my uh, good friend Rick Rushton joins myself, Peter Kakos, for another episode of Voice of Value. And let's kick it off with a, just a little bit of a wrap of what happened there on Saturday night, Ricky. Mate, I'm still here. Can you see? I'm on location at Optus Oval. I haven't left here. <laughs> I've still been singing the song. I'm amazed I've still got a voice left at the end of it. What an absolute cracking week of finals. I think the four games were all decided by a collective total of 35 points. 15 points was the highest, Pete. One point was our our win. And you can imagine the bloody pressure of playing in a game like that, couldn't you? Not wanting to be the player to stuff up. And, you know, imagine the pressure of the playing. And, and you know, we, we got a bit of feedback from Nick Maxwell, didn't we, in previous episodes about the elite pressure and performing under, under the pump. And Peter Burge at Richmond talking about how the Richmond players thrive on that sort of stuff. Imagine coaching, Pete, getting that one wrong. <laughs> you wouldn't want to get that one wrong. And Nathan Buckley's talked about creating an environment for your people to perform at their best in. Uh, umpiring, my gosh, imagine if an umpiring decision, but thankfully none of that happened. It was just played out. The commentating was uh, outstanding. And to that end, it's a good way of segueing into introducing our very special guest that we've got on board, because this is somebody who has played at the highest level of AFL, more than 200 games, is Bulldogs royalty, Western Bulldogs slash Footscray royalty, father-son selection, uh, was one of the best big men of his generation, confirmed by his Charlie Sutton medal win in 2001, I think, and 2002, Peter was the AFLPA, the AFL Players Association's joint pick with him and Michael Voss as the best player in the league at that time. Captain the Bulldogs, when he hung up the boots, he didn't walk out the joint and say, see you later. He went onto the board, instrumental in getting Luke Beveridge to the actual uh, club, which we now know led to the 2016 grand final win. Um, but I think we know him today as a media personality co-hosting the juggernaut that is the Triple M Hot Breakfast with... Another media performer, Pete, have you heard of Eddie Maguire? Yeah, name rings a bell. Yeah. Rings a bell. He goes, okay. Uh, <laughs> co-host of that, co-host of clearly of the House of Wellness, which I know is one of your must-see TVs, events throughout the week, but he's no co-host to us. He's somebody who we absolutely have been chasing to get on this program for the better part of the last uh, month and a half uh, to really get him here during the very busiest time. It's a great joy that we welcome to the microphone, not to talk about his commentating on the ANZ netball series. That wasn't great, but as an absolute key pedestal in the AFL finals commentary team for the mighty seven network, triple M's very own house of wellness, Luke Darcy, welcome to the microphone, Luke. Jeez, thanks, uh, Rick. Thanks, Peter. That's uh, an unbelievable introduction. I'm not sure I can uh, I can live up to that, but um, always uh, always good to have a chat. So thanks for having me. Well, I was going to say the better thing about Beck, um, you know, Darcy and uh, the four beautiful uh, kids that you absolutely thrive on, and we'll touch on that later. But I think it's fair to say that. You know, these are challenging times. I think, Pete, you were going to sort of uh, kick off and ask Luke a few uh, health and wellness type questions. Oh, I think um, I think getting 
cutting straight to the chase and Luke, it's uh, you're an incredibly busy man. And I, I think we need to probably talk a little bit about time management today and how the hell you do it all. But um, it's uh, absolutely tremendous. But particularly, um, I want to I want to move away from the predictable and move away from the the AFL and footy sort of stuff. And um, well, is that predictable or is the COVID-19 uh, lockdown predictable? But that's where I want to go straight away, Rick and Luke, and talk about um, particularly house of wellness and, and what you do on a weekly basis there. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are facing some incredible challenges right now. And I think there's probably no better person you speak to at the moment. You've surrounded yourself with it. You've been quite vocal and, um, and gained a tremendous amount of support from your views on what we're facing, uh, particularly here in uh, in Melbourne. So as I said, a lot of people facing challenges, doing it incredibly tough. I want to get straight into right off the bat and say, okay, um, what would be some of the strategies? What are you seeing right now? And particularly what are some of the strategies that people are actually um, doing to to cope and, and get through these um, these somewhat challenging times? Yeah, no, thanks, Peter. It's a, it's a real uh, passion of, of mine is that you know idea of... Uh, having some daily practices, daily things that you do that, that set you up for uh, the life that you want to live. And, and probably lucky enough, uh, AFL football gives you a great routine and great structure and probably great discipline. I think a lot of AFL players finish their careers don't actually understand the skill set that they've got. And a lot of that also is, you know, AFL players tend to be great at uh, self-awareness, great at wanting to improve, great at taking on feedback as well. And you know, most guys leave with a skill set that they probably don't understand. And so, look, I was really lucky, uh, really by surprise. I think it was 1997. Uh, we had a uh, meditation teacher who came to the club and, and I started this guy called Steve Griffith, who was a um, David Smorgan, who was the president of the board, insisted that he had a couple of hours a week or four hours a week with us. And um, it was a handful of the younger guys. I was probably 18 or 19 that were a bit more open-minded than perhaps Doug Hawkins and a few of my teammates at the time thought it was a bit of a bridge too far, but I just developed this sort of routine of, of meditating twice a day for 20 minutes. Didn't think about it, didn't overly um, really analyse it until I finished playing football and I stopped doing it. And, um, you know, my wife Beck about six months later was saying, you've turned into a nightmare. Um, and I just put it down to just, you know, adapting to the next part of your life and getting busy and trying to work it through. But I then really started to delve into hey, that actually was serving me a lot better in so many areas of my life, along with a lot of other things, you know, and they are pretty simple, those messages about what you eat, how you exercise, if you can take some time out in that space um, for your mental health. And I think that to me is a great passion for me is that I think everyone would be united by wanting to live a happy life or a successful life, wanting to achieve life with balance. But what do you do every day that supports your mental health? And most people haven't really got a great answer for that question. Some will say play golf or I go for a run and I, uh, I go to gym. All those things are really worth it. And we understand physical fitness. If you, if you want to get fit, you need to eat well and you need to train at some level or do something on that line. But most people, I think, still haven't opened their account in something that helps them really mentally uh, you know, go well from day to day. And I, I suppose, you know, you mentioned the House of Wellness. When the opportunity came to do a TV show based on wellness, it was pretty, uh, pretty easy to get involved. I think the, the thing I'm hearing there, Pete, is routine sets you free. And if you've got a routine that serves you, it's really great. And I think in this day and age, when everyone wants meds to get them through, Luke, it's interesting that 
you know, medication could be, you know, that polypharmacy that we talk about, or it could be an acronym for meditation, exercise, and diet, which are three big things that you've found served you well. If someone was listening to this right now and going, you know, I've heard all this before and I, it's not knowing what to do. It's actually getting on and doing what I know. How would you suggest that they could take the step from knowing it intellectually and doing it, bringing it to life? I think it is, you know, Rick, that is the ultimate challenge, isn't it? I mean, many people get exposed to these conversations or have someone um, explain to them just how beneficial it's going to be to, to, to eat a little bit better or to exercise better or maybe have a breathing technique or have an exercise program that fits. But the challenge is, do you value it enough to do it every day? And to be honest with you, it's, it's incredibly hard. And, and, you know, I've had times where, you know, I've probably been doing those things for 25 years. Your routine changes like this year, you know, suddenly uh, I'm doing the radio show from home. I can sleep in that half an hour longer. I normally get up first thing in the morning. I dropped a 22-year routine in three weeks and just dropped it cold. I hadn't even realised again. I was like, God, I just started gravitating back away from things that weren't working for you. So, look, it's not a, I'm not saying it's easy, but I think if you can actually get an understanding and have a, have a period of time what, it like, what it's like to feel good by the things that serve you well, you've always got a reference point to go back. Now, don't be too harsh on yourself because it happens, you know. And I'm a big advocate for 80-20. When I first started talking openly about meditation, I could feel my mates rolling their eyes and going, geez, how boring has he become? Uh, <laughs> we've lost him. You know, he's going to sit under a tree, you know, with his legs folded all day. And it's, it's just not the reality. It's, uh, I love a beer. I love catching up with my mates. So, uh, you know, 80% of the time, you try and do the right thing. 20% of the time, you've got to give yourself a bit of margin for error. To, to have a blowout, to, to, to let it go a little bit and then maybe get back onto the routine when you can. Darcy, it's interesting you're talking about um, you know, working from home and doing that as, as most of us are right now and have been doing so for, for some time. In our industry and particularly presenting and so forth, you, you really thrive on that adrenaline and that, that's what really gets you up and about. And also that connection with people on that one-on-one sort of basis. How are you going? I know commentating from home, radio from home. Um, how is that? How have you adapted in terms of getting yourself sort of up and about and in terms of you know, getting that adrenaline pumping or that motivation really in sync? Look, I feel really lucky, Peter, that you know, my home's pretty full um, with four kids homeschooling this year and uh, and, and Beck, who's... Uh, That's full. You know, just, that is full. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. With a capital F. And it's been a solid, <laughs> solid year, and it's almost been the whole year. So, look, I, I feel really lucky that I've actually enjoyed major parts of this year. I, I've not travelled, I haven't been on planes, going to footy week, week in, week out. So I've been around an extraordinary amount and had time that I haven't had uh, previously uh, you know, with, with my family. We've had dinner every night. You might, you know, in the past get... You know, one or two dinners a week if you're lucky. Everyone's so busy doing this thing. So I've actually really probably thrived. And then lucky enough to still have the connection going to work and jumping in a studio. And, and look, you can't replicate being in the ground, being in that atmosphere. You, you can never do it. But the thing I love about footy the most, the thing I love about uh, calling AFL football is, is the teams and the relationships and the friendships. They're the lasting things that uh, you take out of it. And, and that to me is why I've enjoyed the, the, the role in the media, working alongside people who've become great friends, both on and off the air. There's a whole team of people behind the scenes who are some of the best people you meet in, in the TV industry, who are our cameramen and our floor managers and our text guys and our wardrobe. And there's this whole travelling circus. We're just not travelling this year. We're doing it off the screens. And, and you know, I think we just all felt really privileged and lucky this year. People are really struggling. People have lost their jobs. Mm. People are struggling with their mental health. So every time I've gone to work, you don't need 
a lot of perspective to feel lucky about still having a job and still being able to do something as, as fortunate as I have. Yeah, wow. So gratitude sort of serves you well. You're grateful for what you've got, not what you're not able to do. And I think the one thing, Pete, that I I know of Dars, because I had the great fortune of first meeting him way back in 2003, um, he was the kind of cat who would commentate games he was actually playing in at the time. So, you know, I can remember often going out uh, at quarter time, three quarter time, Dars, talking to Bob Murphy a little bit. And I'd be saying to him, mate, what are you doing? You're meant to be following James Hurd around. And it was a time when the Bulldogs, I don't know if you remember this, Dars, but had that mixed strip. And it looked like the the sort of the stripes going up and down, the red, white and blue, it looked like a barbershop choir or something. And he said, <laughs> he goes, I couldn't get the song out of my head, Living in America from Apollo, uh, no, Rocky <laughs> three or four, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, just, he kept on thinking that. And I'm going, mate, you are a space cadet. And he's going, yeah. and then I remember you telling me not long after that, that you actually commentate the game as you're playing it. You know, the runner comes out and tells Darcy to go to centre-half forward. So you obviously had a thought that once footy was over, I know that was probably sped up by your two knee recos back-to-back, so you had a bit of downtime not playing and we're sort of, I think, then engaged by Channel 10, weren't you, for a bit of special comments? Yeah, I was, Rick. And, yeah, no, your your memory is right. I used to do my own head in, calling myself playing the game. It was... uh, (laughs) Always probably better than I was actually going, you know. My, my opponents used to look at me quite strange there for a while. And here comes Darcy, ball comes to centre forward, he's going to take the mark. So like, what are you doing now? <laughs> Can you just uh, keep that inside your own brain? So I did have this uh, right from the start of playing, and, and I hadn't really worked it out until recently. Um, you know, I lost my dad uh, through this period, and uh, he, you know, his father's son, he played at the Bulldogs, but he was also commentated uh, footy in South Australia. It wasn't until going back and we were preparing his online service and going through some old photos and videos, just how often we used to sit back, my brother and my sisters and I, up in the back of the commentary box. And somehow amongst that, it, it, it obviously uh, through osmosis um, immersed in me that that was something I was keen to do. And um, yeah, it, uh, it probably, when I did my knee those two times, you know, I just felt really lucky. I was, um, you know, had a lot of people I knew in the industry. Dave Barron from Channel 10 was the head of Channel 10 footy. And he said, mate, you're out for a whole year. Why don't you come and call the games? It was pretty controversial in 2005. There was no current players that had called games while they were still playing. And I you know, copped a fair bit of criticism saying, you know, you're putting yourself ahead of the, of the team. But, you know, the reality was well, I had to do my knee again. So I missed two full years. So it, it was disappointing. I felt like I was probably playing as, as well as I had in my whole career. But it gave me a bit of a kickstart into the next part. Seems that um, Dars 14, 14 or so years you know, playing the absolute elite level and now doing some incredible stuff. It's, it's leadership's clearly been a part of, 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 of what you've gone through and what you've done and how people look up to you and so forth. Would you say that's innate? Is that something that's always been with you? And it sounds like, you know, your dad certainly had a really huge influence on that. Um, so how, how do you view leadership now? Do you think leadership's born? Do you think leadership's taught? Uh, how would you describe leadership? Oh, it's a great question, but I, I think it's, um, to me, it's something you, you constantly evolve. I, I'm really big on the, the, the idea, I think it's a Japanese term, you know, constant never-ending uh, self-improvement is a very common term out of their culture. And, and look, if I look back at me as an 18-year-old with no idea and fresh from Adelaide uh, turning up, I look back and think, you just had no understanding of what was to, to, to come. And a miracle you got through the first 12 months, really, but I think you learn from great people around you. And if you're open to that and, you know, fantastic uh, opportunity, footy provides those great opportunity to, to meet incredible people and you, you pick up things along the way if you want to improve and you want to self-improve. And so I think it was probably later on you started to maybe think a bit more about the influence you could have not only on yourself. You, you probably everyone starts off if you're you know, in sport. It's a pretty selfish game to start. 
how do I stay involved? How do I get the contract next year? Am I good enough to stay in the team? And once you get to the point where you're, where you're established, I think there's a bracket of people just purely from a sporting point of view and then think, what influence can I have on everyone else? And I, and I really got passionate about that and still do. I think to me, you know, leadership's every day, you know, on your home front, you walk into your work environment, you get a chance to have a positive impact on someone every day and, um, you know, work in progress. Get it wrong all the time, but, uh, you know, passionate about trying to uh, trying to be better at it every day. What's the thing you, you, you most notice with the current day football? And say if you went back and had a look at the 22-year-old Das, but particularly the people that you're around right now, the footy players that you're around right now, or the, the elite sports people, not just let's just not talk football, but just in terms of elite sports, the, the 20-something-year-old, what, what are you identifying is probably the biggest challenges or, or what's the biggest learnings and teachings that you could offer um, those 20-somethings? Look, I'm a little bit worried for, for that bracket that, that it's become a bit too stressful and not enough fun. And, and I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche thing to say, but, I mean, I and, and again, you're feeling your age and you're, you're probably sounding a bit like the guys that started a generation before. The greatest change in civilization has been all of us now can hold up, you know, a mobile phone in front of us. And that's provided uh, amazing opportunity, but it's also provided this incredible amount of stress. And, you know, I look at the current players and I think, you know, people can get access to them every minute of their life now. So you get off the field. You go to pick up your phone to speak to your family or check in and, you know, people can give them direct feedback. Now, we might have got someone yelling out of a car saying, geez, you're no good or you copped a bit of a spray. But that took a bit of courage for someone to do that because we might have been able to chase them down. But uh, now it's uh, it's everywhere amongst them. And I, and I just when I read about some of the stress, some of the anxiety, some of the pressure that creates, some of, um, you know, I tell the story and I, I, and I don't think you'd mind me saying it, Luke Hodge, because... Um, I have shared this with him before, and he 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 worked on a game at Channel Seven. I think it was it was 2019. It was one of his first games, and he came on air. This is a four-time Premiership player from Colac, one of the most inspirational, one of the toughest, one of the most loved people you'd, you'd imagine in football. Now he's nervous because he hasn't called a game of football before. Does a great job, by the way, and was fantastic. And and but like anything, it's, it's a bit like riding a bike. You know, when do you press the button so that you're on mute? When do you talk? When do you don't? There's all those sort of mechanical things. And so, like anything, he was feeling his way. And at halftime, I think he went to check on his phone, and he came back afterwards, and I saw him. This is someone. I'm someone that not by choice. I just haven't had an account. I don't have social media. I'm, I'm horrible at communication. Uh, people find me very hard to get hold of, and it's a, it's a not uh, a great part of me to be honest with you, but. Um, and I just saw him, suddenly he's getting smashed apparently at half time. Mate, you're an idiot. You can't speak. You're the dumbest ex-AFL. And he's showing me this stuff on his phone. And I was like, what on earth is that? Like, who, who would want to say that about Luke Hodge? But it had an, an effect on him. had an effect on him in the second half. Now, you know, it would have taken a bit more to put Luke Hodge off his game playing football because he, he had a few tricks up his sleeve. But I thought, if you can get at someone that's that successful, that well-rounded and that brilliant a person... What hope does a 19-year-old trying to work out who you are? That's challenging. And I don't know how to solve that, Peter. I haven't got a good answer to it. You can't just – that's their world. You need to communicate that way. But, it's a, you know, I'm not sure how I would have coped. I didn't have any of that pressure. It's, um, it's a lot for them to deal with. It's a biggest change. And it worries me, to be honest with you. It's one of the things we talk about on this show a lot, Das. We say don't take feedback from someone you wouldn't ordinarily go get advice from. So if you don't value the person, don't necessarily value the feedback. And one of the things I say to our daughter, who's about to turn 16, which is scary, I just say don't let your girlfriend's highly edited life 
affect your unedited life. So, you know, when you see all these things that are being posted on social media, you know, it's never as good as they say it is and it's never as bad as they think it is either. It's somewhere in between there's reality, but you're spot on, Darcy. I think the amount of stress challenge emotional well-being mental health if you want to call it that uh that has skyrocketed no no surprise the numbers have tracked north dramatically since 2007 when the app store was empty to now there's so many high-tech ways that people can pass across feedback as you say everyone's a critic you know everyone's got an opinion and it's it's spreading out the speed of click um you know you don't even have to know the person to actually maybe take the advice a little bit to heart but one of the things I say to, you know, someone like Jaden Stevenson, I, you know, when he first got drafted, uh, so I said to him, who's the best player here at Collingwood, do you think? And he said, oh, Scott Pendlebury. I go, okay, are you going to be as good as him game one? He goes, heck no. I said, well, just so you know, mate, he is well into his career. He's probably going to be a games record holder here. Even he still cops criticism. Can you believe it? So you're going to have to learn to either get rid of this thing, this thing called a phone, or learn how to make sure that the only advice you really respect is your, your parents, the people yeah. you value, your coaches and those sorts of things. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's the message that comes loud and clear. You, you spoke about leadership before, Darcy, and I know you're very much into values-orientated leadership, as in who you are, and, and you're very authentic there, as, as I think we heard uh, Pete with Nathan Buckley talking about. He likes to think that leadership's not something you get in a day. It's, it's things you do day by day and, and, and you know, experience roughs, you know, takes out a lot of the rough edges. We all know your media career, and I suspect many would know if you're in the AFL-centric states, you know your football career. What very few would know is you're also a very, very successful business entrepreneur person in the hospitality trade that's had an absolute caning over this sort of COVID period to a point where somehow, if you can follow the common sense to this, you can go to a supermarket, grab things off a shelf and put it back as you didn't want it, but you can't go into, I, I can't even get my hair out. And I don't want to get political because that's not what we're about, um, but we're into common sense stuff. Talk us through some of the things you've looked at from someone who is heavily involved in the hospitality trade. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more around that Rick Jamison sort of uh, technology where yeah. there's so many solutions out there, Das. What, what, talk us through some of your findings there as, as a leader in that, that industry. Yeah, Rick, I think um, you, you wouldn't be human if it's, it's not a shock to uh, you know, be involved in business and have it legislated that they close. You know, that's day, if someone had planned for that in January, then they deserve a statue to be built for. I don't think anyone had a model where you didn't have any revenue. And so that was um, just something that everyone initially, I think you go through the shock and you go, hang on a minute, I've got, you know, uh, everyone's got debt to pay. Everyone's got first and foremost, all these people that work for you that you love. You've had this long history. What does that mean for them? And you're just going through the stages initially. How do we survive? How do we try and get uh, our people, you know, safe and secure and, and hopefully a job to come back to in a whole range of, you know, uh, family grew up in hospitality, but, I had a conversation in January. I was just talking to, uh, again, my wife, and uh, we, you know, we'd had a, had a go at about five or six different things in different ranges of areas. You know, we've got a retreat in Bali that was going really well. We um, learned to swim business. I'd been involved in the hospitality space. And I just say, just, you know, all those things are just taking time. It's taking a while, but they're all in a good shape. And by March, none of them were actually going or had any revenue. So March was an interesting uh, interesting month. But there's it, it, sort of two ways that you sort of go, this is a once-in-a-hundred-year disaster or a once-in-a-hundred-year opportunity. And, and and I'm trying to get to that that point. And, and the brilliant, you mentioned Rick Jamison, Harry the Hirer, uh, all the creative people automatically get into creative mode. And you know, he's come up with smart badge technology, which, you know, really simple. We're going we're gonna to roll it out 
hopefully if we can get the, uh, the the hospitality game back up and running soon and you know, it's a simple you know, like an Apple wristwatch or a lanyard that you can wear that you put in a bin and it just works perfectly for contact tracing, something that's been a challenge here in Victoria. And I think that to me is just looking at, you know, where's the opportunity to rethink? We've got time now to stop and either get stressed, either get angry. Uh, and everyone's been entitled to do that. And I've had my days too where you've gone, this is totally unfair. How does this happen? And, and, and you're right to actually voice that too. I think everyone should, should, should voice you know, what they think is fair out of all this and, and ways for I've been disappointed that we haven't you know, been able to, all the industries, particularly in Victoria, there's been some brilliant solutions that have enabled, I think, industry to open safely because no one wants to do this. If you open a, a bar and you have an outbreak, well, that's probably the end of your business. So the incentive is there to do this safely and do this right and, and to have a mature conversation. If you talk about reopening, it doesn't mean you don't care for those that have been unwell or those that have tragically lost their life to a virus or other things. I just don't think the conversation has been mature and open enough to say, hey, let's get all of the minds together and see if we can do both. Save people's livelihoods, save you know their mental health because that's a huge issue. We need to talk about the cost of locking people down and taking their business away. If someone goes bankrupt, loses their family income, takes that away, that's a health cost as well. And it's a massive health cost. So that conversation, I think, hasn't really happened enough. And, um, you know, I've been trying to push for that broader conversation because to me, there will be game-changing solutions. They're already there. They've already happened. Um, that'll be the upside of once we get back up and running. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard the uh, the interview with, with our Premier and, and, and no doubt that's gone. That's gone fairly uh, significantly viral through um, throughout. I think I was reading a report from the UK or something on it as well. So, but one thing, Darcy, that was that was really awesome to actually listen to was was just the level headedness and the thought process that you had done. And it wasn't wasn't to be confrontational. It wasn't just fueled with absolute emotion. And by the way, if anyone could have fueled it with emotion, you could have based on what you've been through um, over the last um, over the last few months. But, you know, you said it lacked in nuance, it lacked in sophistication. And I think that's ultimately what it's all about. It's let's, let's take the ego, let's take all that heavy emotion out of it and let's just, just, just as I love that word sophistication because let's actually put some, some really clever thinking around it and let's actually draw in all these, um, these ideas that, that so many very, very smart people have. Well, I think the thing, Pete, is that, you know, for me, it looks to me, Darcy, and I'd love your thoughts on this, but it's almost like COVID-19 is a nail and the only solution is the hammer and we'll just bang away at locking people up and just, you know, isolating healthy people to protect, obviously, the vulnerable. Okay, that's one way, but, you know, and it just, it, it, it baffles me that our leaders are saying the plan is working. Well, even a, bloke, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, you know, if you're going to lock people up, of course, but as you said, Dust, the side flow-on effects of all the mental health issues, the fact that kids are going to spend probably six months of the year out of school environments. And for us, I reckon every kid that misses a year of school is a bit like a dog living seven years to hour one. It's a, it's a yeah. big impost, isn't it? So uh, as Pete sort of frames it there, if there were solutions, not that we would vote you in for Premier because you're, you're too qualified, but if you were Premier, Dust, what would be some of the things you'd be doing yeah. right now to open us up freely, safely, but more importantly, not just, you know, being so draconian with the, the approach that we see at the moment? Yeah, as I said to, um, to someone who asked me, there are too many skeletons, too many end-of-season trips for me to uh, <laughs> get any role in uh, public life or be caught out caught out far too quickly and for those who haven't listened to our 
radio show in the, in the mornings that I had the great pleasure of doing with Eddie McGuire now for, for nearly 11 years. So I had been asking those very similar questions since March of, and we're so lucky. And, and let's be, it's, it's through Eddie's contacts and not through mine that the uh, people like the premier and the prime minister come on regularly. And, I, and look, I love those conversations because you're learning from them. And, and Daniel Andrews has been in our studio. It must be close to 30 times. So I've had the pleasure of meeting him and he's smart and he's an intelligent guy. I think under stress, we all, um, are not necessarily the best version of ourselves. And you, know, you spoke about leadership before, Peter. I mean, to me, the leadership that I think you know we should be thinking about more in 2020 is that that self-awareness, self-reflection, collaborative type of leadership. And I think some sometimes our leaders in this have bunkered down, they've closed their circle to the narrowest amount of people uh, possible. They're not taking on broader advice. And so, look, to me, and, and I'm not pretending to be a medical expert, I'm not pretending to be a political expert or pretending to be anything, but just asking questions and reading a lot and, and, and have read a lot from a whole range of medical people, particularly in Victoria, saying, yes, you can put things in place specifically for the elderly and those that have got underlying health issues. They're the ones that we should put the maximum amount of our resources. Because at the start, when, when everyone said we could run out of medical resources in Melbourne and we need to build capacity, of course we need to, and we didn't know enough about a virus, we should have done exactly what I think we did at that time, and that was to take every precaution, understand the first lockdown. After that, everyone knew a lot more about who was at risk from this and who wasn't at risk, and I don't think we were able to then have, as the words, Peter, you know, we used was nuanced and sophisticated. Where's the nuance? Can you pivot to looking after? Because aged care clearly needs a light shone on it more clearly, uh, but there is a big portion. For the first time in history, You've chosen to lock up healthy people. And when you do that, you cause a whole heap of health issues. No one wants to really talk about that out loud. Now, that to me is a really uh, misleading thing to do. When you stand there every day and you talk about, you know, a virus, you've got to then talk about the cost of, of what you're doing as well. And I think I would have had a bigger conversation around that with some great experts. Some of the best minds in, in Australia suddenly were very vocal and saying, Here's a way forward. Here's a way to do this. We need to get kids back to school. We need to get business up and running. You can't keep racking up all this debt, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of debt, because that never solves the issue. The issue is how do you get trading again safely? And uh, I'm not saying that was easy, but I think, you know, there was a better conversation somewhere in the middle ground. And that's one of my fears is that suddenly, you know, I'm as apolitical as it can. I don't have any... Uh, bias on that front at all and wasn't making a political statement asking those questions to the Premier but the idea that you can actually sit in the middle ground and say that's not anti-Labor or anti-Liberal or left or right, everyone's sort of you know get drawn back into their camps and suddenly there's no middle ground. I would have gone for the middle ground and had a conversation. I think you know, hopefully we learn from it because right now every day we still stay locked down in Melbourne to me, we should be debating this every day. We should have experts who are on the ground saying Let's get another count going of the cost of this and the cost of it. You know, I speak to people every day who are devastated by it from their mental health, from their kids at home. You know, it's a, it's a tsunami of health issues we've created. Was it the right thing to do? I think that's, that's still a pretty big debate. Well, I think the other thing is um, I have empathy for every political leader, both sides of the political right and left, state and federal, and I don't buy into all this sort of border lockdown and ScoMo's doing a great job, but Dan isn't and all that sort of stuff. It's not like any leader could have just pulled out the COVID-19 playbook and go, this is what we do in this situation. So it's policy on the run. I, I get all of that, and I understand that sort of greatly. I, I guess my, my thinking around all of this is, um, you know, 
if, if we're going to be closed-minded and, you know, you know nothing, nothing's going to work other than what we believe, we'll just see what we want to look and find. And, and we've been very passionate about bringing some really good advocates, Wayne Schwass, Nick Brax, to this program in terms of yeah. emotional wellbeing. And if anyone is struggling, again, as we always stress, 13, 11, 14, that's 1, 3, 11, 14. That's the lifeline. Certainly, if you or anyone you know is struggling with their mental health, there's some great resources online there. There's always someone ready to have a chat and reach out if that's the case. I want to pivot away from it because it's sort of something that I think we pivot away, Pete. I've used that word. Uh, does that is that another 50 bucks into the jar? Sorry, I've stuffed up there. Uh, I want to change tack if we could. Uh, where, where's the... Where, you've had an amazing sort of... Uh, and I know you, you value being a, you know an incredibly loyal sort of friend and family member and, you know, husband to Beck and, and dad to the kids. Um, but you're relatively young as a, as a young young man in this day and age in good health. Where do you see the next sort of decade or two going with your focus both professionally and personally? Yeah, it's, no, it's, a, it's an interesting question, uh, Rick. And I, it's funny, I, I, I probably, as a kid, um, bizarrely, well, not bizarrely, I think a lot of, a lot of kids maybe have the same dream, but I was pretty clear on, I used to tell people at the age of five I was going to play AFL football, and I used to get laughed at by my older brother and um, and everyone else along the way. Um, but I, I just really, for whatever reason, really young, that was that was always my, my destiny in my mind. And as soon as I started playing, I really had this um, idea that I was going to work in the media right from the start. And I'd go and volunteer, go and make coffees for, for Jared Healy at 3AW or, you know, try and anytime the media manager put their hand up, I just had somewhere in my mind that that was pretty clear. But I always thought that there was... A, very much a third chapter, and um, and I think to me it's probably happening now, and that is, and you know this this sort of this space a little bit around leadership, around um, health and well-being, and and um, yeah, it's this idea that you can be a better person if you can help other people to get the best out of themselves. I think that's probably um, right in the passion space for me. So lucky to have a few projects going. Um, they're not quite you know, there yet. But, um, yeah, I think at some stage, you know, full-time into, into that space and getting that balance right. I think all of us are trying to, trying to make sure you deal with balance, make sure you don't miss the whole point of life if you're, you know, having four, you know, lucky to have four beautiful, healthy kids and a great relationship to make sure that I'm, I'm around and haven't missed it. I'm, hopefully I've done a reasonable job with that up until now. But, uh, you know, they're still young. My youngest is still 10, little Maxie. So you want to make sure that you're there as often as you can. There's that balance, isn't there? I think trying to tread that path around achieving what you want to achieve, being active, providing for them, but not missing the whole point of life as well. So I see more of uh, more of that in this next chapter of my life. And do you see, look back on your footy career with, you know, what, what's the overriding sort of emotion? Because there's always a thought that, you know, whilst you didn't reach the pinnacle, not every flyer does, let's be candid. You certainly, that the best vision, Pete, for me was watching Das calling the prelim final up at, uh, you know, Spotless Stadium when GWE, and I think I don't want to quote you exactly, Das, but the way you said, I never thought I'd ever say this, but the Toggies are into a grand, grand final. It's just to every player who I knew from that era, who knew that they probably weren't going to play in one, but they're going to be the reason why the next generation does. And, and knowing that yeah, you, your DNA was over that a little bit, Dars, as I said earlier in the introduction, with your ability to get Luke, Luke Beveridge, I think back from an overseas holiday, wasn't it, to apply for the for the gig? Was that? Did, do you feel, how do you, two-part question, how do you look back on your playing career and, and, your, and your association off the field with the doggy since? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, when, when you finish your career and it's without a premiership, that, that is the ultimate aim. As, as soon as you get 
the ability to play one game. The whole focus is can you win a premiership? And um, yeah, you mentioned Nathan Buckley before. I remember, you know, I've spoken to, to Bucks about this before, but when that was the only measurement for success, you could leave yourself feeling pretty hollow at the end of it. You know, someone who got out of football, Nathan Buckley did as, as successful as he was to not feel fulfilled is probably selling yourself a little bit short, but I, I, I felt that, you know, I, I must admit, I, I struggled. I went straight into the media and then I spent probably the next six years in the locker rooms of grand final winning teams. You know, cross down to the bet, yeah, and jump in. And here's Brian Lake. Congratulations, you won your third premiership. Part of me is burning inside with jealousy and going, you know, this is just terrific. And under my breath, I want to go, mate, why didn't you play that well when you played with us? And we could have won one together. Probably not an appropriate question to ask. Uh, you know, wouldn't have wouldn't have gone down that well in the Hawthorne rooms. But but that jealousy was alive and well, and I think that competitive nature is just there. It's just like you look back and you know the, the near misses in '97 and '98, and and um, but then you know what? With the course of time, you know, it took me about five or six years to be perfectly honest with you to not have that that jealousy whenever Grand Final Day took a hold. And that was the beauty of 2016, Rick. It was just to to have like it felt like. The year that I played, all of us won that grand final, and I, I'm, I'm surprised. I thought we would. I thought I would have been jealous. I thought my old mates that played would have been. We just loved every moment. One of the best nights we had in my life. We end up back at one of our pubs with um, must have been 150 of uh, of our old mates and teammates and partners and the girls, and um, and we just had the best night. It was just this. Finally, Bulldogs have won their second flag. Uh, it felt like all of the the um, the, the, the mistakes of the past and all the hurdles and all the challenges, the club nearly went under a couple of times. It just felt like that day was um, justification for all our efforts. So it was a it was a pretty special time. And I'm glad it felt that way and, and it's never felt anything but it since. That's fantastic to hear. What a uh, what an achievement. So on onto the footy. Um, I, we, we can't, you know, leave today's uh, um, chat without some sort of bit of forward thinking here in terms of what's going to happen. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of Ricky's pies? And uh, and uh, where, where is uh, where's your tips for um, for the remaining few games? Well, before you answer that, Luke, can you just say when you say Ricky's pies, you do realise he works side by side, even though it's electronically in this day and age. But normally sits opposite him in a studio in South Melbourne to Eddie's pies. But keep going, Luke. But, but no, I can imagine how you would have been just bombarded with Collingwood stuff because I am that way every week bombarded <laughs> yeah. with Collingwood stuff as well. So I, I don't normally go back and um, and try and take credit <laughs> for, for too many things. But I, I in the lead up to to the West Coast game, I, I had this strong sense Collingwood were going to were going to win, and um, you know I think they're an amazing club. They've got an amazing coach. When particularly when it just it just footy's got this amazing way isn't it it was just a build up to it they're in quarantine they're no hope the western australian crowd um you know dirty magpies i just every time i hear one of those things it's just another bit of weaponry in the arsenal for for bucks and the team you could almost feel it and then when they got off to a good start uh, mason cox takes three big grabs you just thought it's on here they're going to do something special and what i love the way the, the year is now set up. That week off is brilliant. You see how good the games were because the players got, yeah. you know, 10, 12 days to actually recuperate. It's exactly what you want the finals to be played like the first week of finals. So that's brilliant. And who knows? We saw in 2016, you know, Bulldogs started by beating the West Coast Eagles in Perth. And, and I just thought that was impossible. They then went and beat Hawthorne, who were the three-time premiership unbeatable team. They went and beat GWS. Up at uh, their stadium, the Giants Stadium, like it was just this miracle, miracle, miracle kept happening. And so, who's to say that won't happen 
uh, going forward. But um, history oh, God help us. Be careful, Barrington, for Collingwood if, uh, if you don't yeah. normally do it. But uh, I, I love how open it is. And, you know, the Port Adelaide and Brisbane Lions deserve to be one and two straight in the prelim. You know you're pretty hard to beat from there. But there's some dangerous sides below them. Um, Richmond are dangerous. Geelong are dangerous. Um, Collingwood are really dangerous. I'm worried about St Kilda. They've just you know, lost Paddy Ryder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. had Jake Carlisle was going to go back for the birth of his child, which, uh, you know, good on him, but they really need him. Um, so that, that might be a bit bridge too far now. They've lost a couple of their gun players, but uh, anything could happen from here. Das, just as we, as we start to get to the tail end now, once again, so appreciative of your time in such busy time um, in your world. Uh, but I just want to just pick your brains on some of the common denominators denominators of the great coaches that you've been, or certainly you've played under, but you've been around. You would have been around some, some incredible leaders in your time. Um, just looking at some of the facets of, of what they do, what they say, who they are, the people, you know, that they are, and, and how do they instill that, that, that greatness in the people around them and, and under them? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, well, I think we, we played in a, in a pretty different era, Peter, that um, was a bit more of a blunt instrument way of, uh, of leading, and that was uh, um, push you really, really hard, give you extraordinarily brutal feedback, and if you weren't up to it, um, you sort of fell by the wayside. And, and, you know, it worked for some. I look back and think it didn't work for a bracket of guys that I reckon under the current system would have had fantastic careers. It was just too... Uh, you know, again, lacking in nuance would be the word I'm after. <laughs> I think what it did, it, it, it's actually um, grown, this next generation of coach. I think Paul Roos was probably the first one. He had a list in his drawer where he wrote down the 20 things that he would never, ever do as a coach because he couldn't believe it had been done to him. And that was a 356 game, eight-time All-Australian, one of the greatest players ever. He just was obviously set. And like all of us, we're just sitting there at times going, geez, is that really effective? Does that really work? You know, personal abuse and you know, berating and getting screamed at all the time. Not to say some of those guys too. I'm, I'm selling them short because they were great leaders and, you know, played under Rodney Eade and Terry Wallace and Alan Joyce and, and, and all those guys were great individuals, strong characters who had great technical understanding of the game and, and uh, extraordinary people in their own right. I think they were just born out of an era previously. I think this era, when I look at the way Luke Beveridge coaches, I look at the way Leon Cameron and the way... Damien Hardwick, there are a lot more um, understanding of 40 different personalities and having to try and pull levers to make the best for all those different characters. How do you how do you build relationships with them? Yeah, you do need to be brutal sometimes and give some feedback, but really I don't think this generation of young men and young women actually respond too well to the sort of you know personal abuse that was probably fairly common in our days. So I think um, it's a much better era coaches um, are really well versed on, you know, that, that the buzzwords being vulnerability, the buzzwords being, but I think that connection, you know, I, what, what Luke Beveridge did in 2016 to me, he just broke down so many barriers that, you know, this idea that you couldn't celebrate after a game, you know, you win and you've got to sit there with your arms crossed and not pretend that, you know, you're not giving something to the opposition. Like, how dumb was that for 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, he just said, go and celebrate. They played music, they partied in the rooms and all us old school commentators, oh, they've got ahead of themselves, you know, it's like, really? Is that really, does that really work? And just the, the, the ideas and the concepts that um, probably didn't need to be there, that didn't serve us all that well, I think these guys have broken through in a really good way, empowering the players. Because when you're sitting there, you go, it's a fair bit of intellectual property sits with the players. Why wouldn't you consult them more? Why wouldn't you get them in and bring them in on the conversation? So, you know, I, I, I think I probably would have enjoyed 
the coaching style a bit more this year than I did in area. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things Bucks was saying, wasn't he, Pete, that he loves coaching kids because all you're trying to do with kids is just build up their self-esteem, give them a positive experience. It's better that we give them that sort of strong gift then and build them up rather than trying to repair broken down adults later. And so you've got to give them the environment for them to grow and take chances and take risks and failure as feedback and all those cliche tasks. But I think, yeah, clearly, um, yeah, as I was laughing when you chuckling when you're saying you played under Rodney E because he could give one, let's be honest. He could, uh, he could certainly <laughs> give a spray better than, than most. There's no doubt about that. But I, I, I just think, you know, hearing Bob Murphy on this program talk about the fact that he thinks Luke Beveridge is a genius in his ability to build rapport and you almost feel like you uh, will go and will find the extra bit for him because of who he is and how he communicates. And and so in my last question before we wrap up, because we know you are very incredibly busy. We'll, we'll Can I just say, be- Rick, before you ask this last question, I, just talking about celebrating the wins and so forth, I mean, that's why... You just can't help but love Jorgen Klopp. I just want to get a Liverpool reference in there. But, um, <laughs> but the celebrations <laughs> after every goal, like, it's just uh, phenomenal. But anyway. Yeah, but so, so, sorry, I was responsible for getting Luke Darcy this week. You're, you're getting Jorgen next week? Is that what we're going to go? Yeah, yeah, do, uh, do we get yeah, up at 3 a.m.? Is that uh, how stand that by, stand by, yeah, stand by. Uh, mate, I've heard a lot of – you talked a big game here. I just need to see a little bit of – I'm just saying. That's all I'm, I'm putting out there. But uh, in, in thoughts there, uh, in wrapping up, Luke, what was it that you saw in Luke Beveridge? Because I'm not going to say it was all the news at the time. Let's just say this. All the news at the time was obviously Cameron being an ex-doggy, was interviewed, apparently interviewed incredibly well, uh, had an affiliation with the club. Yet Luke seemed to be someone who came in almost at the 11th hour. Am I right in thinking he was overseas at Disneyland with oh, his kids or something? Or yeah, he... we've got, got about three quarters of that right. Um, the first part, Leon Cameron was the... Uh, time before when uh, uh, he missed out on the job and then he'd already had the um, the Port LA job was offered to him and he took the GWS job. So Leon Cameron right. didn't interview. Uh, right. he'd okay. job, but um, yeah, I, like I got asked to um, come onto that panel by Peter Gordon and you know, I've always been a little bit, when you work in the media and you've got, you know, that perceived conflict of interest at times, you're sort of trying to choose your, your, uh, your moments wisely. But Peter just said, I think you might be able to uh, something to add and then he showed me the list of, of people that they were thinking about interviewing and uh, and Bevo wasn't on it and look I, I had the great pleasure of playing with Bevo for I think my first three years we played in the reserve grade grand final in that first year and um, he was just a unique guy he had a, had a really powerful influence on me I'm not even sure he knows how big an influence he had um, just at unique times he had this great ability where you didn't think anyone was watching you or understood and he just come and sidle down and just might say hey mate you know what you might have got dropped, but you're going to be a 200 game player, and I know you're going to be a 200 game player. And here's why. And and you go, Geez, I don't know. How does someone understand that about what's going on in my world? And or even late at night, you know, you might have been carrying on a few beers. I can remember him, you know, pulling me aside once pretty aggressively and told me to pull my head in as an 18 year old after we won the reserves grade grand final. And I thought not many people do that at two o'clock in the morning. And so a lot of those things that sort of um, had resonated with me and, 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 you know, we'd stayed in touch all the way through. So I, I just was surprised that, and, and if you looked at what, you know, Bevo had done at St. Beads, you know, to coach a side from C grade to B grade to A grade, effectively the same team, like that is in itself one of the great sporting stories. So it doesn't matter what, whether it's amateur football or, or uh, the NBA in basketball, that you clearly you're doing something pretty unique. And, and he'd he, worked all through his career and he'd he led teams of people. He'd worked at the ATO for a long period of time, Bevo, and managed big teams, you know, teams of 100 or more. And he's just a unique person. And, and 
unique outlook on life and unique outlook on the game. And so I, um, I, <laughs> I've told this story before, but um, so I obviously put that on the list. And um, again, not me taking credit by anyone. There was a whole panel of people that were part of that process. So it wasn't suddenly, you know, uh, even though I'd like to take credit going forward, but um, <laughs> turned up to that interview and, and I, there was really senior people in the AFL who'd interviewed before. And it's a nerve wracking thing. You're sitting around a panel of people and you're applying for a job. And I, I saw, you know, people that had coached for 10 years fumble to get their PowerPoint set up and you sweat beads of sweat and uh, Bevo rolls in and uh, it sort of tries, fiddles around with the computer for a while. So I thought I might start by telling a joke. And he proceeds to tell the three worst jokes I've ever heard. And I'm looking around going, should I put my nut on my neck out here for, for, for this guy? That's his best game. I, I hope he's got more to come. But if you know him, that's classic him. It's just that disarming sense of self that, uh, that wouldn't have missed a beat in any way, shape or form. And you've just got an insight into you know, who he was. But I had a few nervous moments at the first couple of minutes. I thought, He's, uh, he's lost the plot, but um, uh, he's proven to be, you know, quite an extraordinary person. I'm not surprised. And uh, just to add more context to that, I mean, that was after, you know, Brendan McCartney had, you know, obviously fallen on his sword. Simon Gallick was the CEO at the time. He, he got the flick. Ryan Griffin had walked out to go join GWS. Um, you know, so you lost your captain, yeah. your CEO and your senior coach all, all in the space yeah. of what was that, about a two-week period? Yeah, and you can't imagine a club that, in more turmoil at that stage. And then you can't imagine from there to, to, to make the final. That first year that they got the finals and got beaten by, they were red hot and genuinely a chance to win it that year. And, you know, what he did the following year, it's, it, again, I'm biased because there's so much of my life and my dad's history, but it, 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 it will be one of the great sporting stories when you go back and do an ESPN 30 for 30 and just understand yeah. how massive a change of culture that was um, at that time. And even then, after that, you know, you mentioned Bob Murphy a few times, Rick. I mean, Bob has a good analysis of what happened afterwards. You know, for Bulldogs to win a premiership, it wasn't a normal premiership. If you talk to Bob, it was like going to the moon and then what do you do next, you know? So there was always naturally going to be a bit of a lull after that and, and some players cope well, but some didn't and, and many found, you know, roles at other clubs. But you can see, again, there's a, there's a pretty special environment that, that uh, Luke Beveridge uh, creates and, um, you know, his legacy is going to be pretty strong. Well, I would have thought, as I hand back to Pete to wrap up, I would have thought there's the next project, mate. There's a there's an absolute documentary series there that you could actually <laughs> be doing about the year of uh, the dog in 2016 and the lead well, up it was to actually, it. And... Well, it was actually filmed. So um, Adrian Brown is the, the great um, documentary maker. If you want to look up 80s, well, he, he did the test, which you've got yeah. to go on Amazon Prime, uh, 80 producers before the game with, uh, with Mick Malloy, 80s again. And so he was following Bob Murphy around and then he picked up that something was special something special. So the Year of the Dogs is just, again, I'm biased, but if you want to watch a piece of sporting history unfold, go and, go and have a look at that. It's um, pretty remarkable. Well, that's a, that's a great tip. And I remember, as you would, Pete, when Bob was saying, he said to Justine, his beautiful wife, I sense that this is going to happen. And he just got a sense, you know, after he'd you know, done his knee and he just got a feeling that it was going to happen and uh, all those sorts of things. And he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. If he wasn't a part of it, he was, you know, he would have been labelled the sook in the corner. Uh, and then he, he is a part of it and seems to be grandstanding, which, you know, you can't win in that situation. But anyway, let's look over that. We've kept this man way beyond what we thought we were going to be able to do. But Luke, uh, as I hand back to Pete, thank you again, mate, for the gift of your time. It's a real gift. Uh, 
you are somebody who's in huge demand. You would have been on Breakfast Radio this morning. You'll be doing prep work, I'm sure, for the uh, broadcast for the finals this week in the, in the second week. Are you tipping the cats or the... No, I won't do that. But you know I value your opinion. Mate, he's just so. picked you for the flag. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. I heard that too. I've hitched that yeah. in a stone, Pete. Some people um, might jot that down. I, I actually got the chisel out. I started the chiseling in the tablet. I want the engraver on the cup now. Hey, 1990... 2010. You, do you see what, see what I'm going? Yeah, yeah. Not, not really. That's 20 years in 10. Yeah. Anyway. Well, they're all October. The even, yeah. Okay. They're all October premierships. That's all I'll say. Just <laughs> jo- join wow. the dots. Wow. 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 That's, that's clutching. But anyway, as we uh, as we wind up, Luke Darcy, you're an incredible human being, and uh, it's been an absolute thrill to have you talking to us on Voices of Value. And I know the listeners and the and the watchers are going to get so much out of this. Your your insights into so much are incredibly valued and um, and we just thank you. And as we said, you know, incredibly busy person. I mean, father of four, um, that, that there just blows my mind uh, in itself in, in the times we're in, but, you know, running, doing a radio show and television show and broadcast. The busiest time of the year, footy finals time, Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure to... Um, to have you on, so thank well, you thank, so much. Yeah, no, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Rhea. I really appreciate it. It's been very, uh, very kind. It's been nice to, to have a chat. And uh, you've had, you've mentioned a number of times about being really busy, and I, I want to finish because I actually <laughs> I want to change because I want to take pride in not being busy. And uh, and I think that's the old old value, isn't it? We always attach. If I'm busy, it means I'm, I'm more successful. But uh, how, balance. How, how can you find? It? And there's always time, isn't it, to catch up? And there's always time to be around your family. So working very hard to make sure that. Uh, that maybe uh, you go, geez, you've got all this time on your hands and, um, you know, I'll be ringing back saying, you're up for a chat again. So uh, trying to uh, trying to break that mould as well. But no, it's been nice talking to you both and, and thanks again. So what I'm hearing there, Pete, is when Conley does salute in a few weeks' time, we can get Luke back on and just say, you're a visionary, you saw it all. If this has been a valuable interview for you and you think there's someone in your networks who could get some value from being around a real genuine voice of value in Luke Darcy, please share it with them. Do like it, subscribe. Uh, again, we don't do this for the money. We still take the money, don't we, Pete? Do we have a sponsor yet? Yeah, yeah, we'll take it, yeah. We'll take it if we get one. Um, but we, we do it to share uh, by us, ho- hopefully helping you get through these challenging times. We're getting through it too. Uh, you know, we've put these together over the last three seasons for nothing more than trying to bring some genuine voices of value with very easy things to bring into your day. And I think, yeah, if you've heard anything from Luke Darcy today, none of it's rocket science. It's just the discipline of an elite athlete, the discipline of an elite media performer, most importantly, with all the care, the loyalty, the love, and the concern of an elite father and husband, which I know is probably more important to him than anything else. And it is all about work-life balance. And I hope you've got some value out of this today. We'll be back next week with another compelling interview. But for now, we say thank you to everybody. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, guys. Great to catch up. We trust you enjoyed this episode of Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos and their valued guests. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. You can subscribe through your favourite podcast provider to ensure you never miss an episode. And as always, we welcome your feedback, ratings and reviews of the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced from our website, VoicesOfValuePodcast.com. We look forward to you joining the conversation again next week when Rick and Peter continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way. Listener.